Howdy, Ags. Welcome to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M, where we help entrepreneurs improve their business, connect with other Aggie entrepreneurs, and support one another. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 1998. Well, we got a little story for you, Ags. Nathan Vitus, Fighting Texas Aggie Class of 98. I know Chris loves that, <laughs> is a managing partner of Regis Energy Partners, a startup that is experiencing hypersonic growth as they help to solve the problem of energy stability in the Texas power grid. Anyone who's been in Texas during the last two Februarys knows how critical this is and how important their company is. I mean, do you remember Snowmageddon? So pass it back and listen up to Nathan as he shares some good bull. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. Ever since that we got on the phone probably, what, four or five months ago, I knew that I wanted to have you on the Aggie Growth Hacks podcast, not only to talk about your business, but to tell your story and and to really highlight the amazing growth that you've had. I mean, I can't wait for our listeners to, to hear from you and to learn from you. Thank you so much for your willingness to join us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm honored to be on. Well, before we dive into it, uh, let's talk about what it's like being a former student down in Houston and then being able to come back to the motherland, come back to A&M. What do you miss about no longer being a student at A&M? Yeah, no, great, great question. Uh, I really miss uh, the common bond that you share with each student, being a, a part of something bigger than yourself. It is A and M. You know, we're Aggies first, right? Uh, even the student organizations, right? They're Aggie Democrats, Aggie Republicans. It's always Aggie first, and so collectively, I think of that as the spirit of Aggie Land. Um, it's what binds us together. It's the common thing in the current times, regardless of the. The politics or the business. It's uh, there's a lot of intersectionality and all of that's about this, you know, identity. And so what's nice about AM, regardless of your background, your color, your creed, is that you're an Aggie first. And so that's just something you you know, we we all know it, we gravitate to it, whether we can touch it. But uh, all of us former students know that that uh, we see that unfortunately in our in our business and in our interactions with people. And so that's that's what I miss most about being a student. Love it. Nathan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your business, uh, Regis Energy Partners, and tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. I know that um, one of my favorite things about Aggie Growth Hacks is that I get to learn everyone's entrepreneurial journey. So why don't you let us know a little bit about yours? Regis Energy Partners, uh, we're a standalone storage independent power producer. We're focused on the ERCOT market. Uh, We create value through alignment of interest through our partners. We deliver that value by focusing on speed and simplicity. In, in, a, in a simpler way, we develop, construct, and operate battery energy storage projects, which is a very used to be a very boring topic and has become a very uh, hot topic since uh, Yuri Storm Winter, Yuri, uh, Yuri Storm, uh, Winter Storm Yuri, and uh, the people's awareness that is uh, the electricity and, and what it means, the life that it provides mm-hmm. is not something we could take for granted. So I went from having a Fairly boring, uh, you know, career in the, the power plant world. Even even wind farms are still kind of boring. To all of a sudden, I was the the topic of the day. So Nathan, it, as you kind of do that, so so explain how your company or a company like yours really supports uh, ERCOT. What is ERCOT? And then how did how did that really come to the forefront with the the Snowmageddon that we had a couple of years ago? Um, so ERCOT uh, ERCOT is an acronym for uh, the Electric Reliability. Council of Texas. 
ERCOT is really the, the traffic cop at the intersection. ERCOT doesn't own any assets, but where ERCOT does and what's unique about it, it's a power grid, but it's a power grid completely contained within the boundary of the state of Texas. And that's particularly relevant for a number of reasons. Number one, much like AM, it allows that those participating in the market don't have to go to DC for permission to do anything. So we're completely islanded in many ways than the rest of the country, which affords us, you know, amazing um, simplicity to execute. It's a it's a pure play market. You can come in and if you have the capital or can arrange the capital, you have a good idea. Um, there's a very clear path how to participate in the market. So it's it's free market capitalism at its best in many ways. Um, very little reg- regulation in many ways. And uh, the market um, is beneficial to ratepayers. Ratepayers meaning you and I as business owners, you and I as homeowners, as our podcast listeners, just, just paying their electricity bill. Because uh, when you have competition and you actually have a fair amount of competition, you do, the market always reveals the best solutions. And so that's just a, a, gr- a great, very dynamic place to be. And, and so uh, that's that's what ERCOT is. What we, as a, a privately owned company, we participate in that by developing projects. Uh, historically, I, you know, out, of, out of grad school, I worked in commercial real estate. And then uh, I, I I got inspired by T. Boone Pickens. And uh, I had a buddy, an Aggie buddy of mine who was uh, out, of, out of construction science. He was building roads for an Enron wind farm. And I just thought it was cool. I didn't know anything about wind farms except for what T. Boone was saying in the Pickens plan and Boone's army. Um, but I just thought that was much better than commercial real estate, which was, which was fun <laughs> and interesting, but it just, it didn't inspire me. And so I just started reading, um, literally downloaded a, uh, downloaded a, a development book from the American Wind Energy Association and uh, read their development handbook. And I said, let's go be developers. So we still had jobs and, and every spare minute, we started uh, quote unquote developing projects, and uh, which really meant we didn't, we didn't really know what we were doing. But in 2007 <laughs> or eight, That's no very one did. Stuff you. Uh, no one, no one did in 2007 <laughs> or eight. So we went down that road and, and what we learned by, we swung for the fences and, and we, we missed. And, uh, but we learned a ton. I uh, went to our first industry conference. I still had my A&M student ID so I could, you know, I'm writing these checks out of my pocket to go to these very expensive industry conferences. And, and I used my student ID to get in on the student rate. And, uh, and I went and all of a sudden I realized, uh, you know, if I, just by being interested, all of a sudden I doubled my knowledge base, which, you know, may sound like, wow, this guy didn't know much. But all of a sudden you realize, well, nobody knows a lot. So if I just read and take an interest and, and get to work, all of a sudden, a year later, you find you have a ton of experience into something that I was interested in and that I, you know, turned out actually being kind of, I was fairly decent at. And so that, that did, you know, eventually led to several, you know, uh, several thousand megawatts of wind, which means several large wind farms from the East Coast to the West Coast, uh, dabbled and touched on some solar uh, to eventually uh, getting into, uh, I was working for a company out of California to uh, getting into battery energy storage. And, and it's short version is would be as, uh, as more and more intermittent, meaning not on demand power plants come online, highly predictable, right? We know when the sun goes up and we know when it goes down and we know what causes the wind. We have bright meteorologists uh, there you know, at, any, at all of our good universities that tell us what causes these things, but they're, they're not on demand. And so our power that we want to flip the light switch in the, well, we want the lights to come on. And so um, the wind and the sun, regardless of the politics, the, the fuel is, is free. Um, there's no cost for the fuel. So there's no commodity exposure. And so once they're built, they're very predictable. They're very boring. Now they're not fully you know, on demand. And so you need a big shock absorber. So uh, that's what a battery is. A battery is just a big shock absorber. And so there's a strategic way about you know, how you might address this problem of you know, wanting consistent demand, but supply is intermittent. And then the you know, very dynamic nature of our power grid, you know, it's got power plants 
various locations, but we have homes at many more locations and businesses. And so how do you match that up? You know, a battery energy storage or, or an energy storage project is really a, a shock absorber or a bit of a matchmaker. And so we seek to find those locations that are that are volatile and congested and place our batteries at those locations. We effectively arbitrage the power. So we buy low and we sell high. We fill up the tub in the middle of the night or at any given time when there's when there's excess supply uh, of electricity on the grid and prices are low. And then and then when when prices are high, of course, we can sell into that. So it's the equivalent of you've got to, you know, I'm here in the, the West End of Houston in Memorial and I need to get to a meeting downtown. And, you know, that could be a, a $10 million meeting that I, you know, if I was successful. So I would literally pay $1,000 to get a toll lane to get there in one minute. And so we're, we're that synthetic infrastructure. We come out right when everybody needs the power. And so we sit and wait. And so that concept of buying low and selling high, that's energy arbitrage. And so we try to find places on the electricity grid where we can put a energy storage project to effectively arbitrage the power. So yeah, appreciate, so, appreciate the question. That's how we do it. That's what we do. And um, seems to be working out all right. What kind of batteries are we talking about? I mean, are, uh, you know, there's, there's all a sorts of batteries. A lot of double A's. It's got <laughs> like millions and millions and millions of double A's. <laughs> in, in many ways, it's not that different. These are lithium ion batteries. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't want to be in the science project business of, you know, there's, there's, you know, anytime you hear something new, there's, there's always, you know, 2,500 new ways in which to, to provide power. There's flow batteries, nickel iron, air batteries. And we, we went with the most proven technology because we were not in the business of manufacturing business. We're in the business of delivering value through the velocity of capital. And so focusing on the most proven bankable product uh, by which we could, you know, layer a business onto is what we focused on. So yeah, Chris, a great question. They're, they're lithium ion batteries. Um, you know, it's, it, and, and then there's a, there's a lot uh, around that. We are fortunate that uh, we have a lot of supply locked up and it's a lot of alignment of interest around how we got there. So are these like buildings that you're putting these in that, that are like, you know, that's the infrastructure? No, actually we, we put them on, they look very much like store, like trailers you'd find on the back of an 18 wheeler. They are, you know, uh, eight feet wide, nine feet tall, and generally 30 to 40 feet long. Uh, they're self-contained. They have their own fire suppression. They're monitored 24 hours a day. Um, the best thing we can do to avoid any risk is to space them apart. We actually don't want them a building or on a building. They need to be on a freestanding pad, gravel pad, very much secure so that we can be in position when the power prices spike or when there's a an event whereby we need to provide some um, some shock absorber services, if you will, to the grid. Uh, those are called ancillary services that, that we can be prepared to act and, and take advantage of that opportunity, meaning make money. And so I know they're very contained. We, uh, we want to have a very simple execution and all of our projects are identical. So we remove the complexity by having a standardized design. And that's how, although we have a very distributed approach to getting our projects online, we achieve scale. This will sound very contrarian, but through distribution. As you do these projects and you develop and you build them, I mean, the, the banker in me is saying, okay, well, that, that's got to be very, very capital intensive. That's got to be a lot of stuff, that, a lot of cash that you're outlaying. And it's got a huge value and, and you're, you're uh, providing that value through that arbitrage, but you're still a relatively young company. Where are you kind of in that development stage of being able to to develop some of these things for you and your company and your investors, stuff like that? Uh, great, great question. Well, yeah, full disclosure, you know, we just started, uh, although my partner and I, he's an Aggie as well. We, we He came from the investment finance, uh, investment banking world. I came from the development side. Uh, we both worked in uh, either for private equity or in private equity world and understanding capital allocations and the importance 
importance of velocity of capital, which really just means, you know, an internal rate of return, right? An IRR or a CAGR business if you want to get, you know, into uh, more advanced level classes. How, what, what, yeah, it is capital intensive. Each of these projects, you know, there's the hardware and the construction and the, then there's the interconnection cost. And so collectively, that's that could be anywhere from on the low end, $5 million to $6, 7000000 million per project for the size of projects, which... Our projects are, are very kind of you know small and bite sized. They're you know maybe a third of an acre, you know 100 by 150 foot pad connected to you know next to a substation. Very bite sized. But but yeah, to your question about hardware, we were able to over you know the past 10 to 15 years build some really good relationships and a good reputation in the industry where we uh, had a what we thought was a differentiated idea and how to access the market and not do this to just you know develop and flip a project like a mini like a real estate developer. We wanted to actually own because we believe that volatility has nowhere to run in the ERCOT. I mean, and the more wind and solar you get, they're great, they're inexpensive, but they are volatile in terms of price points. And so we, we sought to help solve the problem of volatility and of course profit from that by, by deploying these. And so we put together a, a really good investment thesis about how you might approach the ERCOT market. And that, that, that received some, some really nice traction in the marketplace. And so we aligned our interest with, uh, with really, we were, as a result of a, a longer process, two, two key parties that we were introduced to really uh, helped us uh, put our, our vision in place where we're actually going to be, you know, now constructing projects and, and owning and operating. One of those part, one of those parties is a, is a publicly traded company that's in our space. Um, not really at will. We'll, we'll have some press releases from the time we record this until it, it hits the airwaves. But uh, one of those, uh, a publicly traded company in our space that is in, I'll say broadly in the power generation and technology space. And, um, they really wanted to access their cut market. So we, we have formed a, a joint venture with that group and uh, went on down the road. And then, you know, we got a little bit of rope, if you will, just enough to hang ourselves. And um, what that means in, in the literal business terms is we were able to get some hardware on order and start spending money on development, right? Because to your point, it's a capital intensive business. That's awesome. And so that was just, and we did that because they wanted to access the market to operate our projects. And we said, here's a great conduit to access the market. We can be that conduit. You know, we're willing to not, not have to require a huge fee on the front end or, or at exit. We really wanted to get to owning, owning the, the business and the, the projects. And so that allowed us to avoid private equity. Private equity is great. It can uh, do some amazing things in a capital intensive world. But, you know, we really didn't enjoy paying us, you know, effectively a 17% credit card, which is, you know, for those that don't know, that's about what it's like taking money for private equity, about 17% interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, the other side of that was so that got us development. So the development was, you know, in our minds, hardware and a project. But at the end of the day, to build that, you know, we needed the, you know, six, Six, call it an average of five, six million dollars a project to really put each of these into play. And so, my partner, who had worked at Tudor Pickering Holt, very uh, esteemed uh, group here in Houston in the investment banking space, you know, we ran a process, and that resulted in a large fund. Again, a, a, we'll have a press release not too far between now and when it goes public. Um, but we ran a, a closed-in fund, which meant that fund was perfectly fine not exiting, and they really wanted some long-term exposure. They liked the approach that we had, which is uh, instead of putting hundred million dollars in one location, we could have put hundred million dollars at twelve or thirteen locations. So the diversification play really, really was a nice setup. And we didn't just have a, you know, a set of 10 projects. We had a portfolio of, of projects, which we'll, we'll probably talk about a bit. So that collective effort. And then when we structured our transaction with the, the fund, similarly speaking, we didn't need a, a huge development fee on the front end. We wanted to align our interest and, and actually have ownership long-term. And so we were willing to, if you're familiar with uh, capital structures, have a, a, pref, a pref and a promote and a waterfall structure that, that basically afforded us, a, you know, if we could develop the most lucrative projects, projects. 
a very lucrative participation in those projects, which in, and for the business school students that maybe are listening, what that means is basically the more profitable they become above a certain return rate, we get a lot more of the, uh, the cash flow from the project. Mm-hmm. So that, that was just very encouraging that we were able to continue to align our interests with each of our capital partners. Mm-hmm. And that is really, um, you know, we've really been blessed around that. So happy to talk more about the specifics of that as, as best we can. So Nathan, as your company is growing, I mean, obviously you're a very fast growing company and, and you're dealing with numbers that for some entrepreneurs are mind boggling. But my question is, is that what are the what are the values that your company has established that allows you to navigate such explosive growth so quickly and and still stay on track? Yeah, no, great, great question. And, and really, we really feel like we're a steward in the position. Just to kind of cap that off from the last question, you know, what this resulted in was a $400 million equity commitment. This was all prior to, you know, the, regardless of the, the popularity or unpopularity, we, we focused on having an economic business, right? Our lemonade stand needed to make money as selling lemonades, regardless of what the federal or local governments wanted to do. So because of that, the, to your question about company values and, you know, this phenomenal opportunity, I would say, not really success yet, the phenomenal opportunity that we've been blessed to steward uh, is we really focused on the alignment of interests. If we really believed in our business, we were willing to delay uh, you know, a big exit. We were willing to delay taking a development fee. We were willing to delay taking uh, the business owners who are out there will appreciate this, particularly if you've had some success. We continue to delay taking distributions from the business. We pour all that right back in the business. And so that's there's that's that's kind of the first tenet is we have it's we focus hundred percent on alignment of interest. And then taking that down to not just the role that someone's playing. It's one thing to structure that up on paper, but at the end of the day, we really focus on the person, not the role that they're fulfilling. And so we've all been gifted. We've truly just been gifted uh, a lot of skill sets, you know, whether it's, it's, it's a, you know, emotional intelligence, maybe you're a financial modeler at the end of the day, there's still a person there. And so when we focus on the person and show them that let's focus on what we're good at, what we're interested in and not, and there's, there's also a thing, it's our job to remove those things that people are either a not interested in or not good at. Because we can't be good at everything and we're not. We're all gifted differently. And so when we focus on the person that's really set on a foundation of trust and when we trust them, we can align our interest. And so we can align how we compensate our partners. We can f- care about our, our engineering firm's profit margins. We actually care about that. <laughs> and then uh, so focusing on the person, the first one was alignment of interest. The last one, which is a really a value for us, and I think it really does a, a, appeal to my um my short attention span, which is speed and simplicity. I, I, I laugh, and uh, you know, when people want to talk about uh, either their, their GPAs or whatever, and I just, I was always seeking to get things to the lowest common denominator. And so in our world with energy arbitrage and infrastructure funds and private equity, when we focused on having just, you know, a lemonade stand that we can make profit on by delivering, you know, value, and then saying, guys, we don't need to get paid today. We can, we can focus on delivering it. It doesn't mean we don't take paychecks, but we focused on speed and simplicity. So we focus every day by instead of, um, you know, if we've got a choice between a complex project and a simple project, we always choose the simple project. Uh, there's enough shots and goal, you know, there's enough customers out there. Uh, if we focus on uh, with customers, we'd never have fewer people at the table. It just adds a ton of transparency for us as having speed and simplicity. And then I can articulate that much better. And then as I practice that message, whether it's focusing on the person, Person. When I have a simple message, it always resonates, right? People remember things in three. And so that's why, to your question, we focus on alignment of interest, focusing on the person, not the role. And, uh, and then how we do that is through speed and simplicity. Absolutely love that. So, Nathan, one of the things that really uh, we've noticed with, with businesses as they grow is, you know, that they have big 
hairy, audacious goals, right? And these are, these are the, the big five to 10 year moonshots, right? So what is your big, hairy, audacious goal? Yeah, simply put, we're seeking to build the most profitable energy arbitrage portfolio in ERCOT. Uh, that in specific terms is a thousand megawatts in construction and operations in the next 36 months. Nice. What does that look like? What does that even mean? Right. Because I, I, I know I don't really know what a megawatt is. I, I've only heard what, what is that? 1.21 uh, gigawatts. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So like what it. that means in specific terms <laughs> is uh, it to, to make it a relatable point. Right. So uh, to the Doc Brown's reference, 1.21 gigawatts. I, I think the actual conversion there uh, is probably 1.21 uh, gigawatts, which is 1,000 210 megawatts, which uh, the reason that's relevant is that when we, if you look at your utility bill, and this might be the first time you look at it, and if you look at the, the unit of measure, which is the economic uh, quantification, if you will, of what you're buying, something, <clears throat> so many t shirts, the uh, electricity is measured in power over time. And so power would be the kilowatts, right? We're familiar with watts, like a 60 watt battery uh, mm-hmm. bulb. And then over time is the period of time that it's consumed. So watt hours. And then kilowatt hours, there's a thousand kilowatt, thousand, you know, the kilo, and then megawatts is one more set of three zeros. So back to your question and our projects, what this then looks like physically. So I said each of our projects is roughly a third of an acre in operate, and they're roughly each, you know, 10, 10 megawatts each, 9.9 by uh, regular for regulatory reasons, is that we'll have a hundred of these in operating construction and, and or in operations in the next 36 months. And so if we focus on delivering, you know, uh, 10 projects per per quarter, that's 100 megawatts per quarter, you know, 400 megawatts a year. And then you can easily see, you know, we should we should on our current run rate be able to deliver, you know, at least a, a gigawatt and, and maybe 1.21 gigawatts of uh, battery storage projects here nice. in the next 36 months. And then, and then it's important, you know, on any of these goals to measure them and be specific, right? They're smart goals. And so, you know, what that really means when we, when we comparison will steal all your joy, but it's, it's on a highest dollars per megawatt in revenue for a diversified portfolio across the state of Texas. Meaning we don't want to just have volume. We actually incentivized in our, in our agreements with our joint venture partners to have the highest uh, economic outputs per project. So that we're always getting better in terms of the economic performance, right? We're not just getting scale. We're actually getting increasing scale and profitability at the same time. So, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're excited for the opportunity. We're amazed that we are stewarded this opportunity from our partners. And, and we think, you know, the, they, they keep us honest because of our, our documents show that, you know, we only really get to whatever goal this leads us to if we, you know, by getting them actually online. Nathan, it sounds like as you're kind of describing not only what you're doing and how you're laying it all out, but you've got to be able to execute not only on the the things that uh, building and developing the sites, but arbitraging better than anybody else, because it's that ability to arbitrage better than anybody else that's going to allow you to have that highest economic profitability. So thank you so much for for really breaking down something that's super, super complex to, to a dude that, you know, hey, I, I flick on the light and I better see a light bulb go on. If not, I can change a light bulb, but that's about it. Anything beyond that, <laughs> I'm going to call somebody else. But uh, but let, let's roll right now into our lightning round. But before we do that, let's pause for a second for this uh, message from this episode sponsor. Listen up, bags. This special episode is sponsored by Greg Jasper and our friends over at The Angry Elephant. With locations in San Antonio, Bryan, College Station, Magnolia, and many more to come, The Angry Elephant is a great place to meet your Aggie buddies and share some good bowl. The Angry Elephant, liberal cocktails at conservative prices with the finest hot dogs in all of Texas. For more, go to theangryelephantbar.com. 
Okay, we're back. Okay, Nathan, we're going in the lightning round real quick. Super simple. One rule. You got to answer each question in 30 seconds or less. What is your favorite hack? Could be a business hack, a personal hack. What can we learn from you? Yeah, favorite hack I received from a good friend of mine, Dougal Cameron, which is, a, we call it a list of stresses and joys. And it's easy to say, well, these things cause me stress and these things bring me joy. But what's more important, the hack part of that is to focus on those things that actually take away stress and those things that take away joy. It's really important to, you know, it's an accretive thing, which means it's net positive to focus on that pieces. So we do that in our business by focusing on things that we're good and interested in that. And then it's our job as the leaders of the organization to remove those things that people are not good nor interested in. Love it. Okay. So what is the favorite advice that you've ever been given and 1,998 points if you tell us how you applied it? So the, the favorite advice that, that I was given uh, was, was actually, I just heard it from the Marines in the mini podcast I listened to, which is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. You can tell when I get excited by my tenor and pace of my, my, how I speak, I tend to speed up. And then how I applied it, uh, which is really get a kick out of. Um, so I, when I uh, was an employee and we moved to Houston, I was, you can look at my LinkedIn. I worked for Calpine. I was in charge of the center part of the country. And um, I, I literally uh, printed out, I went my first day. I knew that I, if I sped up too fast, I would make too many mistakes. So I printed out, slow down. And I had this big monitor uh, on, that I had, you know, a lot of us have two monitors. I had a, one big monitor and I put slow down and I taped it to four sides of my monitor. And it was my <laughs> reminder that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And so, yeah, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to embarrass myself with, uh, my very, <laughs> that's my hack. It's very simple. <laughs> Love it. Nathan, what's your superpower? Really? My, my superpower is, is never giving up. My, my partner wouldn't perhaps more eloquently say he's relentlessly resourceful. And, yeah. and then kind of the compliment that my, my willingness to just start and, and get very comfortable with not knowing all the answers. Just, I mean, I go back to when I got into the wind business, I literally went home, I, you know, we're living in that one bedroom apartment. My wife, she's an Aggie, she's teaching then. And she's like, why are you staying up every night reading this thing you printed out about wind, which this was 2007. I said, I don't know, this is just interesting. So I just started and didn't know, but no one knew anything. And so that was just so, I look back on that and with with real uh, sentiment, frankly. So yeah, that, that's my superpower. Never give up and my willingness to start and just figure it out. Love it. So Nathan, what gets you out of bed and excited about your business? Really having the, the short, the answer is, is that there's this window of opportunity and in any market that you have, right? If you just look at capital, capital floods, flows into and out of different things that for many different reasons, it could be politics. It could be regulatory. It could just be the sentiment of the bank president at a local level, right? He's just got too much exposure. And so the window of opportunity that my partner and I both saw to, in terms of the volatility that was coming. We just looked at the basic statistics and said, hey, look, there's many more transmission constraints, that window of opportunity. And then um, that, that gets me excited, which really gets me even more excited is the attributes that I learned at, at A&M and, and even before then at Judson High School, I was a role player, to be clear, out of a very successful high school football program. But but then as part of the core cadets at A&M and then going back to getting my MBA at A&M, all of the, the best of attributes. Now I get to lead a team. I've earned the honor and and I say every day to, to motivate them and remove them. So uh, to, to, excuse me, to motivate them 
and to, to remove those constraints that allow them from being the best person that you can be. And so again, back to kind of the values, it's not coincident. It's not canned when I say we focus on the person. We focus on removing those things that, you know, slow them down. If I do one thing and I walk across the hall to our team and I say, what can I do? What can I remove from, from your plate today? And so that's, those are the attributes that I, you know, observe, whether it was from football coaches or, you know, university leaders or, you know, a business school where we got to practice some of that, that I just I still get excited about. I'm a pretty excitable guy, but I really get excited about those two things. Nathan, how can the Aggie Growth Hacks family, the Aggie Network, get in touch with you and support you and your team? Sure. Well, well, until this year, I would have said every home game, section 244, <laughs> row five, seat one and two for the rest of my life. <laughs> but I was informed earlier this year, our, our seats are going to get turned into suites and um, aha, and, you're and, one uh, of the ones that was affected. Yeah. So we're in the overhang right between the uprights, anyhow. Um, so I would say there, uh, we have a great group of 12 Aggies we all sit together. Uh, so we're, we're figuring out what section we'll be in. Uh, but otherwise, uh, uh Regis Energy that's the hyphen or just the, the not the lower one, the middle one. So Regis Energy.com or my phone number, which I'm happy to give out. I uh, love, love helping Aggies 210 831 5144. It's my cell phone, it's my business phone. It's it's simple. So yeah, I love the opportunity to help people out. Please do call me. I will call you back uh, if this is remotely interesting or you're just curious, or maybe you don't think batteries are great. Happy to have that discussion. Thank you. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on and your generosity for coming on and supporting other Aggie entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast. And, and really just thank you. You're welcome. I consider it an honor that I, I, I can't believe the uh, how hard uh, our team, this, how hard they let me coach them. I can't believe that they were here, and uh, it's it's a it's a dream come true. And um, you know, just just hope I can can steward the resources that I've been given. Well, I'm living living the American dream. Well, how about that, Eggs? Was that awesome or what? I know that I had a lot of things that I wrote down on my notebook. Uh, here. They just drop value bomb after value bomb after value bomb. What was your biggest takeaway there, Greg? I loved how he talked about as they were growing, how it was critical to make sure that they got the alignment of interests across the board. And, and this is a huge, while, while the technology is pretty unique in and of itself, but really it's making sure that all the players caught their vision and was able to kind of work through and say, yes, this is something that we want to support. This is something that we want to come, come alongside with. And, and since we've actually recorded this episode, they have had some very, I mean, he talked about having some significant investments. Y'all go check it out. If you haven't Googled it, go ahead and, and Google Regis Energy Partners and see the massive amounts of investment that Nathan has, and his team have been able to pull together because this is such a needed solution to a pretty big problem. And it's all done because they aligned where they were going and with everybody along the way. What about you, Chris? What'd you take away? So I hundred percent agree with you on that, but um, mine was that, and, and, and it just kind of stuck out to me here is, is that he talked about instead of investing into one big, big mega battery uh, station facility. Yeah. Right, facility, right? Is is that he talked to th that they did a whole bunch of mini ones, right? And and that to me was an awesome idea and something that that you know a lot of us entrepreneurs really you know we we like putting our, our eggs in one big basket, right? And instead of saying, hey, instead of doing that, instead of doing this mega project that we that will yes obviously be very useful, but it's really 
would only be useful for one of those substations, right? Is is that why don't we just put battery backups for each one of those, right? And and just keep building those out. Mm-hmm. I think that's ingenious in my opinion, and it diversifies that whole idea. And I think that it diversifies the risk. I mean, e- e- again, since we've recorded right. this, it made major news. I mean, back back in North Moore County, North Carolina where where I used to live. So like I still have friends back there where they were talking about how the entire county went dark because of something that happened to all the different substations. So imagine if they had this solution there and they were able to redeploy that energy very, very quickly. Uh, I, I don't I'm not technical enough to know if that would solve the problem. But really, I think that that's also part of the genius that Nathan and his team said, look, we're going to not put all our eggs in one, one basket. It might have great reward, but we're also going to spread that risk out over different areas. So that's uh, food for thought. Pretty cool. Um, I, you know, as an afterthought, but well, I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you're not connected with Nathan and his team, make sure that, that you do that. And when you're online, connect with Aggie Growth Hacks, connect with Chris, connect with me. Make sure you check out the McFerrin Center as well. We appreciate all their support. While you're on the web, check out AggieGrowthHacks.com where you can hear this episode, all of our previous episodes, as well as some of the the other great content that we've produced. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, give it a big gigum thumbs up, like, and subscribe so that we can get Aggie Growth Hacks out to more ags. We also want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub of entrepreneurship for Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a entrepreneur, head on over to their website to find a program that's right for you. Just head over to aggiegrowthhacks.com forward slash McFerrin right now. Well, Ags, join us next time when we connect with another great Aggie entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Until then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig Thanks again to the Angry Elephant for sponsoring this episode. You can catch every play of every Aggie football game at the Angry Elephant. Click on theangryelephantbar.com to find the one closest to you. When you're there, make sure you check out their amazing selection of gourmet hot dogs. If you try the Hong Kong Fooey, drop us a line and let us know what you think.